Well, did you see it all that uh, last week Tom Brady was in the news? He uh, posted a video to his social media and announced that he was going to be retiring from football. Now, for those of you who may not know who Tom Brady is, um, he happens to be what most people would say is the greatest football player who's ever lived. And his resume kind of backs that up. Uh, he's won seven Super Bowls, has a whole bunch of NFL passing uh, records. And as I was listening to his video, um, and his announcement, it was really short, uh, heartfelt, he started tearing up a little bit. But towards the end, he said something that really caught my attention and wondered if this was actually true or whether he was just saying it. It was just a few words, but at the end of his video, Tom Brady said this, I wouldn't change a thing. Now, I suppose part of this statement is related to the reality that even the difficult things we go through, they do tend to help make us the, the people that we are. And as a Christian, we know that God uses those things. But as I, I, I listened to those words, I wouldn't change a thing. It reminded me of something that many of you know, that it's been a very a tumultuous year for Tom Brady and his family and his marriage. In fact, uh, some of you know that he retired a year ago about this time, and we don't necessarily know all that goes on in private, but what it sounds like is that Brady's wife wanted him to retire, to turn the page from football, to be able to spend more time with his family and with his wife, but Brady loved football too much, <laughs> and he came back, and a year later, He's retiring again, just this time he's not married anymore. I wouldn't change a thing. It would seem like for Tom Brady, football maybe was or is the most important thing. Which lends itself to a question that I think is worth our consideration. You know, so often in life, we tend to have our lives sort of dictated by the urgent rather than the important. And so we don't always take time to pause to ask the important questions because we're just wondering who's picking up the kids tonight after practice, right? I think a really important question that we all should ask is one that's related to that topic of the video. What, what's the most important thing in your life? What's the thing you want to prioritize your life around? What's the thing you want to plan around and to put first? And I'm guessing, uh, knowing most of you in this room, that there are probably some really good answers that you're thinking about when it comes to this question, what's the most important thing in your life? Some of you are, are thinking about the people sitting next to you, your family, your spouse, Maybe, maybe your kids, or maybe, maybe it's your career. Knowing that we're gathered at church today, <laughs> as a pastor, I'm hoping that some of you are thinking about the answer, God, right? And, and that's a, a really good answer. But the reality is, is that the thing we'd like to be the most important, if we were to be honest, isn't always the thing we're actually prioritizing, <laughs> Isn't that true? 
Like, the, the thing that we know maybe should be the most important when we look at our schedules or our checkbooks or our, our, our time isn't always what we're actually prioritizing. And it is so easy for us, no matter what season of life you're in, to kind of get caught up in the priorities of the world and of the people of the age that you're at. I think back to my college and my early 20-somethings, you're in that season of life where you've got your whole life kind of ahead of you, and it's easy to just get swept up in the, the fun and the newness of life, and that becomes a priority, <laughs> just having fun. And, and, and then you start your first job and your career, and you start towards the probably the bottom of the, the totem pole at work. And in order to climb that ladder like you've always hoped you would, you have to prioritize work. And that becomes a priority, sometimes maybe more important than it should. And for some of us, uh, maybe who are middle-aged or older, maybe we've never actually gotten out of making work our greatest priority. Start to have kids, and one of the things that happens is they become a priority, which, by the way, isn't a bad thing. But especially in the area that we live, and we've talked about this before, and the reason I talk about it is because <laughs> I'm continually navigating it. It's so easy to make our children, which are an important thing, the most important thing, and they become these little idols that our whole lives kind of get scheduled around and making sure they have all the experiences that they can have. And maybe we lose perspective on what could or should be the most important thing. And then you get into your retirement years, and, I, and I've run into to some people, very well-meaning, that would say that the thing that's most important for them is to just do nothing. I've put in my time. I don't need to help at church anymore. I've done my, my part. And there's some truth to that, but yet ease or comfort becomes the most important thing. On their own, none of those things I've just mentioned are bad or wrong. Kids are good. Football is fine, Tom Brady. <laughs> um, job is important. Having fun, God wants us to enjoy life. But here's where the problem comes in, and it, it's, it's our first fill-in for today, that even good things aren't good when they become the most important thing. Today, we're going to be closing out this series uh, called Done With That. And if you've been with us over the last six weeks, what we've been doing is looking at certain behaviors or certain thought processes that um, we'd like to be done with, we'd like to move away from. And with God's grace and help, we may not be able to eliminate that type of thinking or that activity entirely from our lives. But what we've been learning is that by God's help and strength, we can, we can do better. And, and today, we're going to close out this series by just kind of taking a look at, at a center of life issue, that when we identify what is actually the most important thing in our life, it doesn't mean we'll never struggle in keeping it there, but it will make all the difference. When we make that one thing the most important, it will then also give us a better perspective about everything else. You see, like I said, 
All the things I've mentioned, all the things you love about life, most of them are good things. But even good things aren't good when they become the most important thing. When we've got the most important thing at the center, (laughs) then we are able to enjoy the blessings of life in the way that God intended us to enjoy them. So we're going to turn to a letter that a first century pastor named Paul wrote to uh, some Christians in the Greek city of Philippi. And the immediate context of the verses that we're looking at is Paul recognizing that the Christians in Philippi were being influenced by some false teaching that was uh, prevalent in their area. And essentially it was this, that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough for you to have a good relationship with God. That what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection was not enough for us to be a part of God's family. That if you wanted to be a Christian, you also had to do the right thing. You had to be born a part, part of the right family. In fact, one of the things that was really prevalent is you had to have the right surgery if you wanted to be a part of God's family. That if men wanted to be Christians, it wasn't just believing in Jesus, it was also to be circumcised. And so as long as you have the surgery, well, then you're in. But if not, well, you're not. And as Paul was reflecting on how the, the, the joy of the gospel was being overshadowed by these other, these other things, Paul reflected on his own life. And when it comes to earning God's love, Paul was just brutally honest in the first verses we're going to look at. He was brutally honest to say that if people could get God to love them by what they do, Paul would be one of the best, especially as he reflects on the first part of his life. (laughs) Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, "If, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Or to say that another way, if someone thinks that they can earn God's love by what they do, I have more reasons to be confident if that were the case. And here's my resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm one of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That that tribe, that part of the the Israelite clans was... uh, looked at to being kind of the prestigious class. Uh, I mean, that makes sense with such a good name, tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. I I was part of the the elite Jews who followed God's law uh, better than anyone else. As for zeal, persecuting the church. If you want passion around God and what you believe, I was one of the most passionate. In fact, in the early part of my life, Paul is saying, I persecuted the church who at the time I felt were the false church. As for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. If Paul was going to get into God's good graces by what he did, by, by the things he could do, he's like, I'm in. I'm as good as anybody. But then some of you know what happened to Paul. He was uh, traveling to Damascus, and the, 
the resurrected Jesus appeared to him and changed his life forever. And so then Paul contrasts that in verse 7 when he says, you see, whatever had been gains to me, um, he had been so focused on the things he did, on the things he could accomplish. And whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. All my earthly accomplishments, not that important. Why? For the sake of Christ. Because he's better. What is more, I consider everything, everything this life has to offer, all the things of this world, even the best things, I consider all of that a loss, not because they're not good, not because the things of this world you can't enjoy, not because the, the blessings in this world, for some reason, you know, God doesn't want us to like them or enjoy them, but in contrast to Christ, I just did have to say they're not as good. That's not as important. It's a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And this is a true statement for Paul. You know, Paul lived the first part of his life up until about 30 as, as one of the elite in society. He was a rich person who enjoyed the best this world had to offer. And then he started following Christ and he endured hardship, shipwreck, he was beaten, he was imprisoned. Ultimately, he was killed for his faith. He's someone who understood what it meant to lose the things this world had to offer. But I consider those earthly things, the things that I've lost, they're, they're just garbage. Comparatively, to knowing Christ, that I may gain Christ. Now, it's, it's interesting. Um, in the Greek, the word there, skubula, uh, in the NIV, the translation we use, it, as you can see, is the word garbage is being used. But honestly, that's the, the G-rated version of skubula. Because <laughs> what, what Paul, who doesn't mince words, is actually saying, well, let me give you a picture. So have you ever walked your dog and uh, you walk down the street or on the sidewalk and they, they pull over for a second? And some of you maybe bring plastic bags with you for this. And, and, and you take that plastic bag and hopefully you put your hand in the bag and you grab that thing off the ground that just happened and you tie it up and then you throw it away maybe in your neighbor's trash can potentially or <laughs> you definitely don't bring it into the house, right? That's what Paul is describing. That's stuff you picked up. That's scubula. And what, what Paul is saying is, he's saying, I'm someone who for 30 years had the best this world had to offer. And since then, I've experienced, well, not having much. And I wouldn't trade what I had for what I have now. Because in comparison to what I have now in Christ, it's 
just stuff you put in a plastic bag. It's scubula. In contrast to what Christ gives us and to what we receive, knowing that we have hope for eternity, I mean, it, it makes the things of this world seem so little, so small, so unimportant. It's um, Jesus over everything. And I know sometimes this um, truth that you and I have heaven as a gift of God's grace. If you've been around the church for a while, if you've been brought up in this reality and truth, I will tell you, if you're anything like me, it can at times begin to lose just a little bit of the, the, the glory and the, the, the joy that we should have through it. I, I was thinking about the difference it makes knowing that it's all Jesus and not us. And I, I was thinking back to one of the most nerve-wracking events in a teenager's life. It's um, trying to get their driver's license. Like going to the DMV and taking that driver's test is one of the most nerve-wracking things you do as a teenager. And, and you recognize that as soon as you get in that car and that middle-aged man or, or woman with a clipboard sits next to you, like every single thing you're doing, your feeling is like being analyzed. Did I put my seatbelt on at the right time? And it, did I do it correctly? Um, am I moving my head enough, you know? Uh, is the blinker on early enough? Am I going the right miles per hour at the right time, everything. And then you get done and you pull back into the parking lot at the DMV and guess what? You, you typically don't really know whether you passed or not. And so you're, you're sweating till finally that person who stands between you and your driver's license tells you whether you either passed or you're failed. But the entire time, at least if you were like me, you're nervous. I've seen some people live life that way. Not when it comes to driver's license, but when it comes to heaven and eternity. And I've actually been to the bedside of a person or two over the years as they were about to leave this earth worried and concerned and sweating, so to speak, because they're just not sure whether they've done enough. And it was my joy in those moments to remind them that it's not up to you. You see, I've also been to the bedside of a number of Christians who understood it's Jesus over everything, that Jesus did it all. And to just see them be able to, in peace, have confidence to know that even though they're going through some pain at the moment, that they know where they're going and that they look forward to being with the Lord. You see, if it were up to us, you know, the best we have to offer, the best we have to offer falls short. I say this uh, often, that we don't even live up to our own personal standards, do we? Like we set goals for ourselves of how we're going to act as a dad or a father um, or a husband. And we don't even live up to our own standards, much less God's perfect ones. But that's okay. 
Because here's what Paul recognized and realized, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He considered his works garbage that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness or a holiness that comes from what he did, but that which is through faith in what Jesus did for him, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So, Here's why I think we should live with Jesus over everything, number two fill-in, because only he can give us confident hope for the future. And when we recognize it's all Jesus over everything else, over anything and everything we could do when it comes to our eternity, there's a joy and a confidence that we're able to live our life with, a peace that transcends all human understanding, as Paul writes. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to to point out when it comes to Jesus over everything else in our lives. And uh, for this, I I want you to consider a man in the Old Testament. His name was uh, Solomon or King Solomon. He was one of the kings of Israel during the heyday of Israel. He, He had pretty much everything this world had to offer. And as he got older he began to do some studying of life and even experimenting with life a little bit. And he began to to study marriage and relationships. He began to to think about having fun in life and, and the pleasure that this world had to give or offer. He thought about careers and work and construction and busyness and laziness and relationships between husbands and wives and between children and parents and between friends. And and as he studied all of this stuff, the question he wanted to answer was the question we started with today. (laughs) What's the most important thing in life? And then you know what he did? He studied all these things and he wrote a book about it. It's called Ecclesiastes. And at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes is his summary of what he felt after having studied the things of this world for his life. Here's his summary statement, Ecclesiastes 1. Meaningless, (laughs) meaningless, says the teacher. And if you didn't hear me the first time, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless, yes. Put that on your, you know, calendar. Words of inspiration. Probably uh, don't find that on too many uh, of those calendars, huh? He elaborates a little bit more in verse 3. What do people gain from all the labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But until the last day, the, the earth just remains. It keeps going, even as people live and as people die. You know, I remember cleaning out the the home of my my grandmother about 10 years ago. She had a lot of stuff. Every closet filled. She She liked to ballroom dance, like ballroom dancing dresses, an entire closet worth of them. Um, She had 40 years worth of uh, film negatives and boxes. A lot of you young people don't even know what that means, but she had them. 
closets filled with uh, old appliances and uh, telephones that you have to hook into the wall and things like that and things that she treasured. You know what we did with most of it? Not because we didn't love her. We loved her immensely. It was just her stuff we didn't love. And got rid of it, right? And that's how it is with life, right? The things of this world, they might mean something to us, those possessions, but, but ultimately, they don't last, right? They're not that truly important when you really think about it. And yet we spend many of us, or much of us, all of our lives trying to, to find peace and joy through those things. Solomon says it's not going to work. It's not that the, the things you enjoy are meaningless again in and of themselves. It's just that if you try to make a good thing of this earth the most important thing, you're going to find that it falls short. Number three, fill in. It's Jesus over everything because only he can give real purpose for the present. You see, uh, for some of you who are young, you, you hear Solomon's words about meaningless, meaningless, and you're like, why is this even in the Bible? It's so depressing. And then for those of us who are middle-aged or older, you begin to realize, I knew it. I knew that's what this world ultimately has to offer, that we can't find significance out of it on its own. I'm feeling that. But our significance and our purpose in the present can be found in Jesus. You see, when, when Jesus came, not only did he give us eternal life, he also gave us new life for the present, a new purpose, a new significance. If our purpose in life is to find joy in the things we do or the things we accumulate or the people we're with, ultimately, we're going to find that those things fall short. But if we find our significance and our purpose and our foundation in Christ, well, then those other things, they were, they're going to be the blessings God intended them to be. I love how um, Tim Keller uh, a pastor in New York, uh, in his book about marriage, uh, how he wrote about the common experience that really um, all of us have. Uh, he wrote, in context of marriage though, he wrote, we come into our marriage driven by all kinds of fears, desires, and needs. And if I look to my marriage, or you could insert career, or you could insert kids, or you could insert cabin on the lake, <laughs> to fill the God-sized spiritual vacuum in my heart, I will not be in position to serve my spouse. See, only God can fill a God-sized hole. Until God has the proper place in my life, Jesus over everything, Jesus being the most important, I will always, in the context of marriage, be complaining that my spouse is not loving me well enough, not respecting me enough, not supporting me enough. And I found this to be true in my own marriage. Sometimes 
I think the reason I'm not happy or fulfilled on a particular day or week is because of Carrie. Now, could we love each other better? Absolutely. But when I take time to, to, to just really think, sometimes I'm asking Carrie to give me something like could be self-worth or love that ultimately I need to get first and foremost from God. We all have a God-sized hole in our heart. And when we recognize it's Jesus first, he fills that hole. And then the blessings that he give are now not the thing we're looking to find our joy from, ultimate joy, but instead blessings that we can enjoy and appreciate. Our career is something that we can enjoy, but it's not who we are. Our kids are something that we can enjoy, but not our mood rise and fall on their every success or failure. <laughs> Number four, when Jesus is your main thing, then the other things become blessings, become good things. I'm done with that. That's, that's what I want a declaration of today for all of us. I'm done with making the good things of life the main thing. And I, I'm ready by God's grace to renew my purpose in making Jesus the main thing. And it's not that I'm ever, never going to struggle with it again. It's never that I'm never going to, you know, have to readjust. But I'm not going to, by God's grace, find my significance in the things of this world. I'm not going to find my ultimate significance in the things of this world I'm going to find it in Jesus. I'm not going to find my ultimate purpose in the pursuits of this world. I'm going to find my purpose in glorifying Jesus with my life. I'm not going to find my ultimate hope in the future I can create for myself. My hope is in the future Christ created and won for me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we... Uh, we recognize today that there are a lot of things that are pulling on us in this life, in this world, that are good things, but not the main thing. Lord, today we, we thank you that through Jesus, we have all that we need, and, and we pray that you would give us uh, direction to uh, continue to make him the most important thing. On, on those days where you know, maybe our, our minds, our hearts are off, Pray that by your Holy Spirit, we come back to uh, our significance and purpose and future being in Jesus. And then all the other things of this, this world, you know what? They're not meaningless anymore, Lord, but they're blessings to be lived and to you be used to your glory and for us to live in thankfulness for those blessings. Lord, we thank you for your presence and your love. And Lord, we also pray uh, for all those who will be taking communion. Pray that uh, this meal is one that encourages and, and strengthens us as we walk each day uh, in faith with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.